Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. excited for this session um, and please everybody help me to welcome pragmatic instructors Teresa Brazen and Cindy Cruzado. They're going to be sharing insights into how you can really supercharge your product and design collaborations, right? It's so important for us to leverage our complementary skill sets uh, and really combine both those market and user insights from different perspectives so that we can build really exceptional products. Cindy and Teresa um, are an absolute blast, uh, and in addition, uh, they just casually bring over 40 years of combined experience to their <laughs> role. So they have led product, design, creative leadership teams. They've really uh, done it all, and they have a huge passion for creating solutions that satisfy and delight users, really address market problems, uh, and achieve business objectives. So they're each really dedicated. And if you've ever had them in class, you know this already. They're so dedicated to helping others build strong bridges between product and design teams so that you can create really intuitive and innovative products. So uh, that is more than enough from me. Welcome, Teresa and Cindy. I really can't wait for our group to hear from you. I always love hearing from you. So I'm going to pass the reins right over for you to further introduce yourselves and share more. Thank you, Georgina. Wonderful to be here and to be partnering with one of my colleagues here, Teresa. Uh, you know, I teach the product curriculum and uh, have been in Pragmatic now for six years. That blows my mind that it's been six years. But before that, working in uh, financial technology, meteorology, education, and everywhere working collaboratively with design. So I'm excited to get into this conversation uh, and, and share some, some of the product lens for sure on this whole topic. All right, and uh, thanks, Cindy. I'm Teresa Brazen. I am also an instructor for Pragmatic and I teach on the design side. Um, and I am also a leadership and executive coach. I work with um, design leaders and leadership teams. And I come from the world of design. I worked in three different agencies, um, helped, uh, I've both been on the uh, project side of designing, help working with um, design teams, but also on the education side and teaching the craft of design for, for many, many years. So I'm super excited to be here because, um, uh, well, we'll get into it more, but uh, collaboration is super, super important in the world of designing products and services, which you all know, but we're hoping that we will shed some new light on what that could really mean for you. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive right in. 
Uh, and let's kind of tee up the topic, uh, you know, why we really believe that collaboration is the most important most powerful tool for for product and design teams and you know i'll i'll kind of kick this off by by sharing and I, i've seen some of the the answers to that icebreaker question up up here um you know from a product perspective when we think about uh the ask that we are asking our design teams to kind of help facilitate thinking about solutions uh you know there's a lot of context there's a lot of uh, information that we are responsible for bringing to the table, kind of the why, the uh, the what the problems are, and the the more we do that in a collaborative way, the less of a shock it is to to the system. The faster we actually start to move through uh, through everything, and we'll get into some of the details of that uh, today. But I've seen firsthand how working collaboratively with design to get that grounding in the market and do some of that research together uh, has really improved our efficiency in, in moving forward. Uh, it, it is a superpower, you know, in, in terms of knowledge sharing, but it also inspires and, and results in a really collaborative, uh, you know, team effect. I don't know, Teresa, what you want to add to that? Well, I, I was thinking, you know, I always like to define my terms, even collaboration, because, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, if you think about collaboration as it's a practice, basically, where groups of people decide to work together toward a common goal or purpose, and in this instance, for the sake of some kind of business benefit, um, collaboration is a requirement of the work that we do. We all know that, but so you can either collaborate reluctantly and have a really difficult time, or you can collaborate and, 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 um, uh, or you can embrace collaboration. And, um, I was thinking about like, what are the, the qualities of good collaboration? And, um, you know, there's obviously there's communication, which includes feedback, but there's also trust building trust with our partners, um, a safe space where people feel like they can share ideas um, openly, um, accountability, right? Um, which means personal responsibility. We're all bringing our A game and also flexibility, which I think we'll probably get into a little bit later um, because projects change and we need to be open to the ideas that our partners are, are putting on the table. Um, there's also respect uh, for you know the the partners that you have and also the ideas that they're bringing to the table, um, and I would add a dash in the best of worlds positivity. Um, so being you know willing and able and interested in collaborating as opposed to focused on the friction that is also going to be inevitable, um, mm -hmm. and supporting and celebrating one another along the way. So it sounds idealized, but I think what we're going to be getting into is like how and how do we get how do we do that? Yeah. You know, and help ourselves get there. And, and you made me, you, you made me start to think about, you know, the consequences of not doing this is another way to think about this too. Yeah. You know, you get into that black box thinking where we're less transparent, we're, we're, uh, you know, maybe doing things redundantly when it comes to these roles in product and design, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of commonality and um, we can result if we're in, you know, doing more black box thinking here and not collaborating, 
we can ultimately be uh, resulting um, in inferior product outcomes, right? Putting the wrong products in the market or products that that are failing to meet expectations. So just a, a lot of reasons why this is so important. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing too. I think the thing I worry about in environments where there isn't good collaboration um, is that ultimately what happens is you don't leverage the expertise of everyone. You're leaving all these superpowers on the table because people aren't talking and they're not realizing where one another could be contributing or where you could be contributing together. Um, And we don't want to do that because you know, and I know the key to really innovative ideas, a a key to that is leveraging a diversity of ideas um, and the talents of a whole group of people, not just part. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and I, as we go through, um, you know, some specific areas here, I mean, these are these are meant to, to kind of just, just show a little bit of where the power of collaboration uh, is really driving. But, you know, from a product perspective, we're looking to solve problems. And that means come up with solutions that result in business benefit. And, and one of those is help us stand out in the market, give us competitive advantages. Uh, not just fill gaps in our portfolios, but uh, but actually drive innovation. And it's through collaboration that we're going to learn what those things are so that we can make the right choices, make the right decisions. And when we start to do that, you know, the the goals, the metrics around our products that that we're striving uh, to, to kind of uh, hit the nail on the head with um, better usage, better adoption, um, we're going to get there when we understand our market better and we understand what they need so that they're going to adopt it. And, and that's what we call the human-centered approach. Uh, when we bring that context of problems and personas into that innovation discussion uh, with design, we're helping to achieve that adoption goal. But along with that comes uh, you know, some small but mighty additional benefits, and that is uh, you know, satisfaction grows when we're working with a solution that actually helps us with a task. Uh, you know, it's a remarkable product that people actually want to use. Uh, that's going to translate to people wanting to buy more product, to uh, to work with the products longer, renew them. That's going to translate to them recommending it to other parts of our market. And so, you know, from a from a product perspective, these are things that we're watching, we're striving for, we may be even being judged on, and we're going to get to these through collaboration with design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I I personally am really, um, you know, my my personal mission is to help design teams thrive within organizations, right? And collaboration is a big key to that. And what I, what I, you know, I think when that's working really well, what happens is something I was speaking about before the, um, there's an opportunity for design to fully flex, right? And some of the skill sets that they can be bringing to the table are not I think there's a lot of organizations where um, sometimes product management doesn't even realize ways that design could be supporting their work and mm-hmm. supercharge what they are trying to do. So, you know, for example, um, design is really, really des- or design teams are really good at um, understanding human behavior and goals and pain points. Um, and I think in, there are a lot of instances where design isn't brought in early enough 
to help inform that perspective for an organization. So, you know, the a benefit of, of this kind of collaboration that we're exploring is bringing design in earlier so that you can leverage the expertise more. And the impact is that you're going to end up designing products or creating, putting products and services out into the market that just resonate more with people, right? Like not just that people will buy them, but they use them a lot and they love them and they advocate for them. And you can't do that if, without a really healthy understanding of your audience. And that's one of the superpowers of design. So. That's what I would add. <laughs> One of those areas you just triggered a thought here, you know, that is very true. I hear in class all the time is that design is a little bit of a mystery. And what you, yeah. did, what you were just saying, you know, is how can design help me, you know, and, and being able to understand human behavior. There's a, there's a kind of a lack of concrete knowledge on what that really means uh, and why it's so important to, to engage design early. Um, that really resonates. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, another thing that leveraging your design team can do, um, it can help you stay really honest as an organization. And what I mean by that is there is a well, I think we'll get into this a little bit later too, but there's a tendency for all people um, to really hyper focus on uh, their own business or their own part of the business. That's just a natural human tendency. That means that businesses have a tendency to want to convince themselves that markets and human beings want things that they want to sell to them, right? Because it's in the best interest of the business. And if, you, if you're leveraging your design team well and the tools of design in collaboration with them, um, those tools help you to keep that in check. And it's important because it doesn't matter how great an idea is from a business perspective. If people won't buy it or use it or advocate for it, it's going to end up dying on the vine. Yeah. Yeah. And where design thinks broader about experiences too, uh, it really starts to keep us consistent as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's get into the steps, right? We, we, we talk about these all the time, but you know, what are the first steps to supercharging products and design collaboration? Love that. Um, <clears throat> well, First of all, some of the things we've talked about already, when we think about getting to know your designers uh, and recognizing that, you know, honestly, we come from the same understanding. Uh, there's a lot of differences between these roles. There's a lot of different things that we learned in school. These roles are very independent, have kind of matured over time in different ways. But these both roles both uh, embrace this outside-in approach, okay? And so I see several of you, kind of, there's overlap. Yes, it's good overlap. We, we both, as these roles, want to understand the market, want to understand problems so well that we dream up the best solutions that are going to surprise and delight, even exceed expectations of those uh, roles in our market we, we care about. Uh, and when we think about, uh, you know, the, the lack of understanding of roles, um, when this black box thinking, we tend to miss out on this shared understanding and realize that we're really starting from a pretty foundational, uh, you know, common understanding and desire to have data to drive outside in decisions rather than inside out. Uh, and leveraging that understanding of design is going to get us there much faster when you think about this from a product perspective. Agreed. 
But when we think about, you know, curiosity and we think about uh, the things that you can specifically do, right, you're going to build as a product leader, you're going to build uh, stronger partnerships by understanding uh, a few very concrete things. Okay. So, you know, how do uh, your designers actually fit into the whole practice of developing product? And, and I think one of the key takeaways here that we both said is that, you know, we've got to think about them much early on. Uh, when we're getting out to the market and collaborating, we we need a shared understanding. Uh, I learned uh, a long time ago that there's a, a lot of contextual inquiry uh, skill sets that designers have that that help us get more out of these Nahito interviews that we're doing. I've come away when I've partnered with designers on those calls, I've come away with more learnings, more depth, more understanding. Uh, and at the same time, if we're doing it together uh, in that research, we're doing, uh, we're getting a shared understanding uh, of that. Um, you know, I think along with this goes us understanding what kind of skill sets do we have? There's a whole ecosystem of designers. You know, who are we working with? Who do we need now on the release? Who do we need next in the sequence in our roadmap? And, you know, products can, can be thinking it ahead and working with design uh, organizations to make sure that we've got the right skill sets uh, that we need. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, we should be empowered to be working with designers uh, on a lot of different activities to facilitate that. There are times when we don't get access to design skills? How can we learn from working with designers so that on the next project, when we don't have a designer, we can actually keep that kind of uh, consistency going? Um, and, you know, I, I know there's another perspective of this, right? I'll let Teresa speak to us. Yeah. And, and just uh, to zoom out for one second, I think what you're getting at, Cindy, is just have also having a good practice of doing stakeholder interviews. Um, and that I would include in that, um, uh, interviewing some of your key partners before you kick off an initiative. And, and, you know, I come from the agency world and in agency land, you always have to do a really robust set of stakeholder interviews because you're from outside the organization, right? And you have to learn, you have to figure out who's most important from a hierarchy perspective, um, who's most important from an influence perspective and an expertise perspective. Um, so just to make sure this is clear, like one of the things that I think we would both advocate for is that you're creating in a way like a stakeholder map and a, and a partner map, right? Um, when you kick off projects and thinking about those three levels of hierarchy, influence, and expertise. So, for example, you know, my recommendation to designers would be when initiating, um, when starting a new initiative, is doing a little map like that to determine who on in the product management side is it important for them to get to know, and and some of the things that you know I would encourage them to explore are making sure they understand how how do our product management partners think about the product development process. Um, Cindy and I. I will talk in a little bit about how it's probably a little bit different than how design thinks about it, but it, there are actually some overlaps. Um, and understanding, you know, how do our product management partners typically learn about um, customer needs? And, you know, that can be a really rich discussion where a designer can also share ways that they, they might also be able to contribute that they may or may not be doing, you know, in past projects. And also, I love this, this third question around uh, where is product management now? Where does it want to be? Um, so this zoom out of trying to understand how do our product management partners think about um, their function inside of the organization and where are they trying to head? Um, 
because that gives us as designers an opportunity to look for ways that we can support that. You know, and then metrics, I think, is another really interesting place to explore to understand, you know, how does how does product management approach approach metrics? And also there can be a conversation about ways that design might approach um, metrics. So, you know, for example, maybe the design team is using Google's heart metrics, which is a way of measuring human impact. And, and uh, you know, there could be a conversation about how that might be woven into metrics for the project moving forward. But I love this idea that we're both getting at of um, getting to know your partners up front and learning more about the similarities and differences in the ways that you think about designing products and getting them out into the world. And, and I think implied in that is trying to learn what's going to help your partner be successful. Yeah. With as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there is a there is a process that that we move through, you know, and uh, you know, largely we are bringing the context of a problem space to our teams as a product leader. Uh, this is the vision of the product. These are the goals that we're expected to help drive for the business with our product. And, and we're identifying market problems. Uh, we've been speaking to how collaborative this aspect is, right? It should never be a shock to our team that here's the problems, the, the, the problem space that we want to share. But then we go through an evaluation of quantifying those market problems. Uh, you know, and this again is where we're leveraging the expertise of product and design uh, to really start to explore and understand uh, and get to you know, which of those problems are the most important to pursue. Now, a lot of this in some teams and some organizations happens way before the design and the development team gets even involved. But look at how much context all of this has and how it's going to, you know, not, not only help designers really understand the what success is all about, but the rationale that's gone into thinking about why are we prioritizing in the bottom of this, this picture here, the ones that we're prioritizing, kind of get into that context. Um, we, we are treating our designers as a partner if we're involving them. They're seeing the magic behind our curtain uh, of how this process works. And they're starting to understand uh, the business impact, the meaning uh, that they can deliver. I've personally seen designers kind of question and say, well, if you looked at it differently, maybe we could do more than one of these problems if we approach the design in a more consistent way. And so this is speaking to what we were just talking about, getting, getting involved a little bit early. But this is that the, the evolution of this is what's kind of landing in our team's laps, our designer's laps, as how do we now innovate and think about solutions, right? I don't know what you want to chime in on here. Well, I think I actually, I'd like to go to the next slide because it, it relates to this slide. Um, I appreciate you, you mentioned, you know, all organizations are also different and how, I mean, even what product management is, is different in different organizations, right? Um, and how design and product management play together is different. And in some cases, like you mentioned, um, design would get brought in kind of at the end of that funnel that you just shared with mm -hmm. us. And you mentioned that 
if you don't know, news alert, um, design really wants to be involved much earlier in that funnel. <laughs> they want to be involved in the, in the first part and the second part and the third part because it, because it can help. Um, and, uh, you know, what's interesting is I was talking earlier about um, the differences in the way maybe the two uh, groups think about the product, the, the process or the approach. Um, this double diamond, if you aren't familiar with it, is in general how most design teams think about uh, designing products and, and uh, developing them. And it came out of the British Design Council. And um, there's a few, it, and I'm gonna describe it quickly, but then make sure that I explain the relationship to what you just saw a minute ago. Um, there's these two diamonds and the first one is focused on strategy. So design's doing research, um, to understand and maybe in partnership with product management, again, depends on the organization, but uh, in an ideal world, design is a part of research and they're using the research to understand goals, behaviors, pain points of the target audience. And then they, they explore and then they hone in on, they define a set of problems that are real and meaningful problems for those human beings and work with product management and other groups or entities in the organization to determine which problems are uh, the ones that really should be focused on. What problems should we solve? I think there's a difference there. Sometimes that in product management may think of that as their, their space and their place to play and design really wants to be a part of that too because they're really good at all the things I've been saying. Um, but once that is determined, then they move into the explore, which is about generating lots of ideas for how a product could be designed or even multiple ways of approaching the product to solve for that problem, and then move into the creation phase. And what you'd notice here is there's sort of the strategy and execution phase. And design is often, I think, seen as living mostly in the execution, but want to be over here too. Um, and can meaningfully contribute over here too. And also there's this um, divergent and convergent thinking that's a part of how designers work, um, which is going wide, generating or doing lots of exploration or generating lots of ideas and then honing in. And, you know, I think when design teams are not invited to participate in the first diamond, that can cause distress for design teams. And that can be a big part of eroding the potential for collaboration inside of an organization. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious how the, the people that are watching, how their organizations approach this. But oh, and the last thing is to bring it back to that last slide, I think of it as um, rather than a funnel that then leads to that second diamond, the two really should overlap. They should. They should. And I want to hone in on a word that you just mentioned, and that's distress. Uh, and, you know, some, it's one of the ways that, you know, we, we, we know that user research is, is an important component to understanding the market. But who owns user research yeah. is a real stressful topic yeah. in the world of design and in product. And it feels like our role is defined by who gets to do Nihito activities, who gets to, to do these ride-alongs. Right. And uh, what we're both saying here is that it should not be that way. It should be a common understanding. It's not who gets to do the interviews. 
It's who's understanding the market and how do we get a shared understanding of the market? And just to bring it home a little bit, when Teresa says, you know, designers really want to be in that left uh, diamond, we've overlaid this with the pragmatic framework. So, So folks, we can broaden our thinking from just execution with design to say, uh, as we are exploring the market, absolutely. How do we come up with a set of questions together that we can get answers to? How do we uh, divide and conquer and go out and do the research or partner up on certain things? But it goes beyond that. It goes into how do we then prioritize and start to think about you know, the goals we're trying to get to. And you get into the focus and the business categories of the pragmatic framework, there are a lot of great activities there that we should be partnering with or getting input from both sides of this uh, so that we get to that vision and plan and we're of one mind. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. power, right? We're going to move faster in that second diamond when we have one common understanding. Well, and, and, and to throw a wild card in there too, I mean, I would even encourage you if this isn't happening now to consider bringing, uh, letting engineering be a part of, or at least observe some of what's happening in research while it's happening. And it's for the same reason that you just said is it, this product design and development works best when everybody has a really cohesive understanding of who the target audience is and they don't know it. They know it in a more internalized way. So when our engineers have that kind of knowledge, they can make better decisions when they're doing what they do. And same thing with design too. That's right. You know, let's go a little deeper on this one too, right? So Uh, When we start to overlap the framework and we start to think about roles and responsibilities, clearly there's a lot of work here. There's a lot of different things uh, that we are trying to do. Uh, And in most teams, you know, there's no expectation that you do every one of the 37 activities in the framework. In fact, we're sharing the load and that's important. And so there's, there's this clarity that we need to get into, which is, Who's owning what in terms of, you know, the driver of those activities? And uh, it's it's not so clear as to say that the what we do is owned by product. It's really uh, driving it forward, but working with others to really start to collect the information to help us figure out what that is, who, what market segments, what problems, which personas. But then you get into execution uh, and there's a whole lot of different roles. The same thing applies when we get into execution. And what you see in this picture is, is kind of these, these, these different roles kind of being highlighted of who's getting involved most often in driving that collaboration. So, you know, uh, on the bottom of the framework, when we're really into the solution development, the refinement of different solutions and evaluation, uh, we've got different kinds of designers, interaction designers, we've got architects, we've got visual designers, industrial designers, right? Participating in a lot of different parts of this conversation. Uh, When we get products and we start to drive them out to the market, we're doing testing and prototyping and and we're doing usability research, right? Different hats that we're wearing, different roles that are going to help with that. So we've talked a lot about the research, but this continues as we go through the execution of this as well. I see that uh, that we've dropped the Exploring Design ebook into chat as well for a little bit uh, of additional context for you. So how do we get to this? 
Right. How do how can teams align product management and design approaches to product development? Uh, and when I, I want to broaden this from just we're not talking to software development here, we're talking about, you know, services, maybe, maybe components as well. Uh, but there's specific things that, uh, that that we need to do in order to get to this space of a shared understanding. And I think one of the first things is, you know, roles and responsibilities need to be clarified. But we have to let go of this idea of total ownership, right? Uh, just because part of our job description is to do user research or uh, is to evaluate solutions or to evaluate innovation meetings. Uh, and, and I just talked about product and design there when those mentioning those tasks. Just because that's part of our job description doesn't mean we unilaterally own it and nobody else has a say in it. And I think this is a mindset that in order to get the power out of this collaboration, we've got to go in there leveraging the clarity of job descriptions, but also figuring out how do we uh, dig in and uh, you know respect what people are bringing to the table, but but also feel empowered and safe to to challenge that and start to drive the, that that kind of collaborative understanding. Uh, I know that in a very specific way, mapping the activities at a granular level inside some of the, uh, you know, the development of requirements, the facilitation of innovation design sessions and mapping who's going to do what, who's going to participate, who's going to uh, kind of enable that, who's going to drive it, uh, is, is getting to clarity so that we can actually get the job done with that. Capturing what the team needs to understand uh, around driving that innovation process. It's not just writing a problem requirement that captures the problem from the persona's point of view, but it's also getting into facilitating the discussion. There's a lot of different ways that we do this. Um, experience mapping uh, is something that I know that our designers are fabulous partners in kind of helping us get the most out of understanding where problems are occurring and kind of looking at it from different angles, but we need to make sure that we're helping them, you know, set up the, the scenarios, getting access to the market so that we get that shared understanding. Uh, you know, that's one tool, experience mapping. There are many others, I know, Teresa. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, so ideation workshops, I think, which is sort of implied by this slide, Problem framing workshops is another one where you can come together and workshop which problems you should be solving. Even, you know, prototyping can be a shared collaborative activity. Um, we've talked a lot about research and even um, co-creation activities with your existing audience. Where you invite them in, maybe you even have them um, map out the current state experience with you as a, as a cross-functional team. So there, there are lots and lots of tools, ways that we can uh, be collaborating together. One of the things from a product perspective that, um, you know, when we are listening to the market, whether it's shared, whether it's uh, sharing the information back to our team, one of the things that we have to learn is not, not just what the problem is, but why it's a problem. And I think it's the why 
that really dovetails with what we've been talking about here from a design perspective around goals, around motivation. Uh, and, and so bringing that why into this process and, and this conversation and these tactics that we're talking about uh, is critical. You know, what's the consequence? What's the negative consequence of a problem, right? Why is it so impactful? Why is it frustrating, confusing? What's the consequence of not getting a task done? Um, I think that information uh, is something that, you know, if we're partnering with design, we're probably learning about it more in a more detailed way, but we should definitely be bringing that to the table uh, because it helps our teams really solidify their understanding of what is important and why it is important. It's easy to say why, but what does that mean, right? It truly means getting into an understanding of why uh, not solving the problem is a really negative consequence. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, drilling down to this a little bit more, there's a lot of things we learn as we go through this. Oh, oh, the the viability, desirability, feasibility. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I love this model because it's it's really simple in a way. You know, when I look at this, what this represents to me is in a way, three parts of business trying to come together to collaborate in an ideal world for the best solution that that uh, leverages the perspective and expertise of each of these groups. And so desirability is I think designers tend to think of themselves as living in this space. Um, it's really focusing on the human beings who are going to buy and use and hopefully advocate for the products that we create. Viability is focusing on business, right? And um, whatever we put out in the market has to ensure that we can turn the lights on and pay salaries, right? And then the bottom feasibility. So, you know, it has to be technically feasible. Can our engineering team develop this? Do we have the tools that we need to make it happen? Um, and I think, you know, in a, in a lot of organizations, these are very siloed groups. They're, the structure of the organization does not naturally bring them together. And if that's the case in your organization, then you have to be very intentional about crossing over the divide and looking for these moments of collaboration, finding collaborative activities that you can do to make sure that the perspectives are all coming to the same, you know, are all being brought forth. And, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit before. I think the other thing that whenever I see this, that it reminds me of is, you know, we all naturally will, will orient toward the circle that defines our role in an organization. And if we want to be really excellent collaborators and really good product managers and really good designers, we're going to look for ways to get outside of that bubble in service of the shared goals that we all have, uh, you know, of having a thriving business. And tools like personas and scenarios, for example, I think are great tools for um, design tools that can can be used. Well, design. No, I'm going to try not to like put ownership on those. Um, <laughs> they can be used to help make tough decisions when you're trying to navigate this, right? The because what happens is nobody ever gets what they want. Right. It's never 100 percent what's right for the user. It's never 100 percent what's right for the business. And it's never 100 percent what the engineering team thinks we should be doing. There's a negotiation that happens at many, many points throughout a project. Right. And and, and just going thinking back to where we started, the strength of our relationships is what helps us navigate that. Yeah. If you don't have strong relationships, 
you, I mean, you all know you've been on these projects where one, you know, one arm isn't talking to the other and yet you're supposed to create something together. It's really difficult. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent on everything you were talking about. What we're looking at also is a little deeper into the development process here, right? We've been, you know, user research kind of comes prior to deciding what we're going to be building. And as we go through, there's a lot of prototyping and feedback in order to figure out the answers Mm -hmm. to is this desirable? Can we actually build it? Uh, And and I want to just highlight that, you know, we don't have resources for a finite amount of time sometimes. Sometimes we're limited on our access to design skill sets. Uh, sometimes they're not you know, advocated for for our team and we're, we're doing it alone. And, and so the way to stretch this common understanding is to be of one mind and, and is to have this, this, this gel uh, of an understanding of the market so that uh, when we're design resources are stretched thin, that we can continue to uh, to go through and understand and work in this way uh, and step up to the plate as a product person and be the one getting out in the market and getting that prototype feedback, bringing it back to the team so the team can kind of keep marching forward. We have to pinch hit a little bit is what I'm saying here uh, sometimes. And that doesn't happen unless we intentionally collaborate and have a good understanding of what we're trying to do. Uh, And any effective team is going to be effective because we've got the structure, we've got the the, the roles and and responsibilities figured out, but we also have a lot of trust that we can step in and and we can uh, uh, do different parts of this uh, and and keep moving forward. So a lot of good takeaways here. I'll kind of take the first one here, but we've talked a lot about breaking down silos. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, painting a rosy picture of what you're working towards, but it is a struggle for a lot of teams to build that culture, build that trust. Uh, we, we're never going to get there unless we intentionally figure out who we're working with, get to know our designers and look intentionally at ways where we can get to this leveraging of outside and thinking in a common place. That's called building and designing a sandbox of collaboration and start small, but it's pretty, pretty mighty as we start to work through that. And I would say second point, um, I think we've talked about this in a bunch of different ways, but is um, both, both design and product management, learning more about how each other work and your processes and approach and the possible activities that could be a part of the way that you move forward. And, you know, maybe on a goal I would offer is on on each project that you do, try to use a new collaborative activity of some sort so that you expand your range and your team continues to expand its range. And then I'll leave the last one to you because I, I think, Cindy, you said it really well earlier. <laughs> yeah, let go of control. <laughs> this idea of we do research and you listen to what we're saying, that's old school, folks. Okay. Control is for amateurs. It is much more effective, absolutely, to uh, to figure out who we're working with, what get a shared understanding of success. Um, and while we have different jobs to do, we have different primary responsibilities, let's figure out intentionally how we're going to drive that shared understanding. When you do that, 
you're singing on the same song sheet here and, and moving forward in a strong collaboration with design. Which also makes me think about this definition of leadership that I love, um, which is leadership is the process of social influence, uh, leveraging the um, something like leveraging the expertise of others toward a common goal. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way, what we're talking about is, is a kind of leadership um, that's about really leveraging and maximizing the full range of the team that's available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, folks, we are going to transition into our Q&A. And I also see a number of questions in here already that I'm really excited to tackle with these ladies. Um, and I have a couple private questions as well, um, as well as some from our uh, LinkedIn Live viewers. So excited for those. If you've got questions, now is the time to pop them into the Q&A box so we can make sure to flag them for Cindy and Teresa. And I am so excited to dive into some of these questions uh, for both of you. So uh, the first one that I will pose is a little bit of a, a brainstorming or like a guesstimate question about some of the challenges uh, with where design is brought into the process. So Teresa, you were talking about how design wants to be earlier in the process, right? Um, and some of the folks that are um, joining us on this session through our LinkedIn Live broadcast uh, asked, what are your theories about why this problem has kind of developed? and why this trend seems to uh, be around, right? And, and um, the, the asker said, for back, lack of a better word, why does this have such a perennial nature um, that it like kind of um, continues to be a challenge? I can start and Cindy, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say to this too. Um, I mean, one thing I would say is, I, I think first of all, there is not there are many people who don't actually know the, they don't fully understand what design is or can be. So there's a limited understanding that the, the, you know, what's in scope for design is right here in some people's perspective. So I think just like shared understanding of what design is, is not always there. Um, and that oftentimes is uh, influenced by organizational structure. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give an example of, um, or, or organizational culture. There I was talking with someone the other day and I, I was said, you know, I work with design teams and design leadership to try to help them elevate their influence and the, the role of design. And, and, uh, he was like, design's not strategic. And I was like, oh. And, you know, I could hear the like groans of all the designers in the world at the same time. And, you know, in the design community, we think we've like made progress on this. And then I hear stuff like that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, and the reason when I as I dug a little further, all the organizations, he was like every organization I've been in design, they just like make the things that we tell them to make. That's basically what he said. And, you know, and, and then I learned that the organizations that he had been working in were very, very heavily engineering driven. So culturally, there was a there was a different sort of value and priority in the organization and that influences perception of design. And then also, of course, if there's very few resources and not very many designers representing design, that affects people's perception. There, there's so much more. I, I'm going to throw it to you for a minute, Cindy, and I'm going to keep yeah, thinking. Yeah. It's a huge, huge question. The, you know, <laughs> where is design brought in and, and kind of why are we perpetuating this kind of uh, difference here. It has a lot to do with the maturity of the organization too. 
And, you know, when when I've worked in a lot of startups that have grown to be massive organizations or bought by other companies and, and different business units. And, you know, frankly, when you start out and you're building a product, there's you don't often have a designer. All right. Frankly, you might not even have the product manager. And so as these roles come on board, it's as if you have to win the job back. You have to carve out what's being done today and you have to kind of define and, and, and show the potential because you're now on board. And even in a large organization, we have these reorganizing uh, moments where we're shifting around the organization. We report to different leaders. Those are opportunities to, to say, you know, what, what does design mean for us? What is product doing here? How can we leverage commonality? And so it doesn't matter where you are coming in and where your organization is uh, maturity-wise, uh, be the product leader that uh, that sits down and says, there's more power here that we can leverage. How do we get intentionally? How do we get there? Uh, but it's a, it's you're not alone. This is a very common thing that we, we don't uh, define it and it's perfect and it will stay that way. We've got to keep at it uh, because we've got different leaders that come in. We've got different influences uh, that, that are going to change our thinking. It's just a mindset that we want to be, we want to grow this superpower uh, and collaboration is the way to make it happen. And I, I would add to, I think, you know, the, the design community is still trying to figure out how to sort of prove the value of design through metrics. And, you know, metrics are like the love language of our business stakeholders. And so we've made progress on that, but um, you know that's why I was talking about if you're if you're a designer and your product management partners have never um, used any kind of metrics to uh, measure you know human impact. You know, for, I give the example of the, uh, the heart metric or framework that came out of Google. Um, then there's a great opportunity to have a conversation about that and see if you can start to integrate some of that into the way that you're working. Um, because, um, you know, the more we can sort of point to, and, it, and the challenge is it's really difficult with design. It's challenging to point and say, you know, this, this aspect of what we designed caused, you know, a million dollars in sales. It's hard to like, it's, it's a longer link, a longer chain to get to that. Um, so I think that's some of the challenge too is, is, mm -hmm. you know, we're still as a community, we've gotten a lot better, but, you know, in the organizations where there are designers that are really good at that, mm -hmm. it makes a difference. I think we're also touching on a couple of things here. You know, getting real for a moment. We don't have enough resources. We got to move fast. We, we are limited in what we can do. Uh, and I think that just points to how more, much more important it is to flex. Yeah, is is to understand where our commonality is and to think about for the project, the release that we're working on, how do we get the most out of the resources that are coming to, to the table? And, and rather than looking at and documenting, here's the way we do it on this this team and it's effective and we should do it exactly the same way mm -hmm. over here with a different set of resources. There's a little more flexibility and in, in the kind of thinking about metrics, thinking about uh, the work that you're doing. Uh, and and kind of figuring out what's right for your team at what time um, is is really what we're starting to advocate for here. Mm -hmm. 
such great thoughts. And I have uh, two more questions that I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun with. Um, so the first one is really touching on kind of what you talked about, Cindy, with the, the ongoing nature of beating that drum of the relationship and finding where things plug in. Um, so the question is, when you're thinking about this collaboration from strategy all the way to execution, how do you initiate and plant and build ownership for all of your team members through the process? What are some strategies and tactics that have worked really well um, kind of at different stages of, of building that relationship and strengthening that relationship and then also pushing it forward? Mm -hmm. Well, it starts with understanding the business goals, having a product strategy that is actually connected to those business goals. If we feel like we're you know, out in left field and what the team is actually working on it all the way through those different phases. Um, it's never going to feel and it's never going to gel. Uh, there's always going to be things that come in and, and kind of shift priorities or, or don't feel right. So you've got to start uh, by making sure everybody is on the same page uh, with what success looks like, what the business goals are, what the time frame is that we are kind of developing our product strategy. Uh, and we wear different hats as we move through that, right? Uh, you know, we talk about in foundations, the gap analysis, and it's one of the first things that, that, that I would refer to here is how do we how do we get to that shared understanding of who's going to do what? When you when you can kind of eliminate the gray areas in roles and responsibilities, I think things people you know feel more comfortable that they know what their individual roles are, but you also have to set those shared goals. And maybe it's at the release level. Maybe it's as we get into execution, it's getting down into the phases, the sprints, uh, and starting to break it down. But being uh, the one that kind of connects all of those pieces of execution back up to strategy. These are conversations that we can have along the way, make intentional space for those um, so that it feels like everything that we're doing is connected and that it's real. Now, when I say we, I mean <clears throat> design and product uh, coming together and kind of sharing that responsibility uh, kind of along the way. Uh, there's innovation meetings uh, that are specific opportunities to build into your, your sprints and iterations that, that will kind of bring people together, kind of pull up a little bit from the detail, reconnect with the personas, the problems, the strategy, think ahead uh, two or three sprints from your team uh, so, that, so that you've got the context for them when you need to go, uh, when, when they get there. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, there's also a lot of shared responsibility here. You don't have to be the ones doing doing it all. Uh, but at the end of the day, getting very real, we don't have enough resources at all of these phases. So we have to divide it up. Um, but if we've got a common vision on where we're headed, we'll actually get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And inviting and inviting participation at key points. Right. Mm -hmm. Just I think mm -hmm. in what you're so that I mean, just the human nature, when you are invited to participate and have a perspective, then you are more enrolled in whatever happens next, even if it's not what you wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But ownership is clay. It's key, right? We all should be very clear what our primary responsibility is and then look for the intention in that collaboration. Yeah. All right, we've got one last question. This one's for you, Teresa, to bring us home. Um, this is a little bit of a um, what if question and it might be a tricky one. Um, so if you were a design team of one supporting four scrum teams, if you had to eliminate all design work except for what is absolutely critical, what would you keep? 
Well, first I would tell you to go read the book design or as UX team of one by Leah Buley, who I used to work with. And it's like the book for anyone who is a design team of one, um, which you may already know about. I mean, that's a tricky question. Some of the things that come up are, you know, I, I think you have to have, this is going back to some of what you were just talking about, Cindy, you have to have clarity about business goals. You have to have clarity about your audience. So who is it that you are trying to sell something to? You can't, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the question, that's a million dollar question. And what is it that they will buy and love and tell everybody else about? So you have to do some kind of research or leverage research that already existed, exists. Um, there's a lot more to that. I'm sure the person who asked that question knows <laughs> that there's a lot more to that. Um, and then you need some kind of representation of what you understand about those people. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be a proto persona, which is a not highly researched form of persona that is a synthesis of what we do know about them. Um, or it can be a much more robust type of persona, but or you need some kind of tool that and then it needs that communicates that and that needs to be shared. Um, and I think the the bigger challenge with that. See, my list is going to be much longer than this person wants. <laughs> the bigger challenge with that is you can't just make the tool. You have to get people to buy into it and to use it. Otherwise, you just wasted all your time. Mm -hmm. There's so many examples of persona. I mean, I can't tell you how many organizations I've interacted with where they did all this research and created personas and then they sat on the shelf. Um, so, you know, in, I, I would argue for um, some kind of, I don't know if it's a, a workshop, and some kind of activity to introduce the personas and they do an empathy exercise. Think, for example, of what would they th feel, think and do in a high stakes situation so that people really get who they are and and then um, start using them. And um, I would also say I, I really believe in um, uh, ideation workshops being a cross functional experience. Um, I think it's really good to get a diversity of perspectives and uh, cognitive diversity in the room, people who think about things in different ways. Um, and it's another key point of, you know, we talked about like inviting participation so that people are on board with wherever you go. Because after ideation, after that workshop, you may do something that they did not at all think was a good idea, but they will be more likely to support you in it. Um, and then some kind of testing. <laughs> I mean, there's a multitude of ways to prototype and test, but um, I'm a big advocate of, of very early prototyping, really rough, like let's make sure we're going the right direction. I mean, there's so that's a really tough call. Read the book, though, because Leah Buley has a perspective on how to empower people in your position. I think we I think our last question might have accidentally been the title of our next presentation. <laughs> Um, because I think that there's so, so much here and I love that topic. And so it pains me to, um, to stop the conversation, but I noticed that we're at the top of the hour. Um, and so time flies when you are, uh, learning and having a wonderful collaborative time with both of you. So Cindy, Teresa, thank you so much, uh, for sharing your knowledge, uh, for folks who joined us, um, for product managers, if you want to dive in and learn more, um, design, uh, for, for product professionals, um, is a great course for you. And for designers, I really recommend business strategy and design. Uh, so thank you both for being here with us. Um, there's so many great comments uh, in the chat here about people that have learned a ton. So thank you. Thank you.